today's very special episode, AJ Scuderi, who you met in episode three in season one, and I are discussing a witch lit classic, John Updike's 1984 novel, The Witches of Eastwick. John Updike was born in 1932 in Shillington, Pennsylvania. He graduated from Harvard College in 1954 and spent a year in Oxford, England at the Ruskin School of Drawing and Fine Art. From 1955 to 1957, he was a member of the staff of The New Yorker, and after 1957, lived in Massachusetts. He was the father of four children and the author of more than 50 books, including collections of short stories, poems, essays, and criticism. His novels won the Pulitzer Prize twice, the National Book Award, the National Book Critics Circle Award, the Rosenthal Award, and the Howells Medal. A previous collection of essays, Hugging the Shore, received the 1983 National Book Critics Circle Award for Criticism. John Updike died on January 27th, 2009 at the age of 76. And from the back cover of the 2012 Random House reissue of The Witches of Eastwick, Toward the end of the Vietnam era, in a snug little Rhode Island seacoast town, wonderful powers have descended upon Alexandra, Jane, and Suki, bewitching divorcees with sudden access to all that is female, fecund, and mysterious. Alexandra, a sculptor, summons thunderstorms. Jane, a cellist, floats on the air. And Suki, the local gossip columnist, turns milk into cream. Their happy little coven takes on new malignant life when a dark and moneyed stranger, Daryl Van Horn, refurbishes the long derelict Lennox mansion and invites them into play. Thenceforth, a scandal flits through the darkening crooked streets of Eastwick and through the even darker fantasies of the town's collective psyche. AJ, thanks for coming back to talk classic witch lit. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you back. And um, after reading all of John Updike's awards, I'm a little nervous about the fact that I may be perceived to eviscerate him over the next hour. Um, <laughs> you will not be perceived this alone. Okay. Um, for new folks or others who aren't familiar with your work, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and let us know what you're working on? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm AJ. And I write romance under the name Savannah Cade, and that's all contemporary, but includes some paranormal and the Touch of Magic series, which is very close to what practical magic is. It's that magical realism. And as AJ for suspense, I write supernatural suspense in the Nightshade Forensic Files, and I'm currently in the middle of the Black Carbon series, which is an imagining of living through the apocalypse not post-apocalyptic so that's a that's the witchery i will bring to the table <laughs> okay so i kind of thought this is the first one we've done so i kind of thought um to break it down you know always say the good things first with criticism right so mm -hmm. we'll do kind of a breakdown of the things we liked about it so the good and then the bad and then the ugly because there is some and then we'll kind of give our overall rating at the end, just to kind of give people an idea of how this is going to flow. So I, as a guest, I will let you go first and talk about what you did like about The Witches of Eastwick. I get where he won the awards. He won the awards in the writing. His ability to describe something is wonderful. Other authors would take three or four pages to get across the same information that he manages to get in a few pieces um the writer i think is absolute best at that is nabokov and he's not nabokov 
but he's a lot closer to Nabokov than Anne Rice. <laughs> so that's, you know, those descriptive words, those turns of phrase that really help you see or feel or smell, you know, I'm in the town square. Oh, I've met this man. I know him. <laughs> so that I think is where those awards are coming from. And actually, I really loved the idea of the story, especially when you go back to the mid 80s. It was a really unique telling at the time. Mm -hmm. So I will. I love the characters. Oh, my God. The characters themselves were not wonderful people, <laughs> but were so well designed and, you know, full. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, so we hit on most of the same things. Um his writing is just lyrical and um like you're right like his setting and tone and the description like everything just puts you right in that like small new england town as the seasons change like the ocean air and walking on the beach and like especially like alexandra's passages where she's kind of watching the seasons turn through like the bog behind her house mm -hmm. and all of that like yeah the writing is just beautiful and the characters are fully drawn people like i tell they're terrible people yes they're fully drawn <laughs> people like there's none of them feel like a cardboard cutout except maybe chris <laughs> That's and fair. even you don't really get much about him. And as we kind of get into talking, we can talk a little bit more about Chris. But um, I guess this might be a good time to kind of, A, to say this is a spoiler heavy episode because you've had since 1984 to read this. So if you haven't read the book, stop now and go read it. I Otherwise, we're just going to spoil right. you. We're going to spoil I'm, you left and right. I am throwing spoilers out of seed spreader behind me. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, the the gist of the story is these three women are all divorced. They all are raising children in the small town. The town all suspects them because they're di divorcees and they kind of know they have this little Thursday night witch circle. And they're all sleeping with somebody's husband, basically. They're sleeping with everybody's husband. Right. Poorly. Yeah. And then Daryl Van Horn comes in, like the blurb says, and refinishes this house that's like on a kind of on a like tidal island with a causeway and invites them in. And they all kind of want him for their own, I guess. But they also mm -hmm. all are together. They cut their powers increase, but they also get shitty. Like they're just right shitty bad people they seem to recognize fairly early on that if they each try to take him for their own none of them will succeed right and so they come together and they very quickly become i mean they were a triumvirate but they very quickly become united mm -hmm. and i almost feel sorry for him yeah <laughs> i don't but yeah so they kind of have you know they have he has this like Japanese teak soaking tub mm -hmm. room and they have orgies and drink and he has a um, butler I guess that right. fixes them spicy Spanish food and, and drinks with who knows what in them there's yeah. so much hints at everybody in this right. story they're smoking magical powers hot. you know they're doing all yeah. kinds of stuff and then um, Suki and Jane 
cast a spell on um, Suki's boss's wife. Suki works at the newspaper. Her boss is the editor. His wife is kind of the local Karen, I guess, for lack of a better word, who is just up in arms about everything and has it out for the three of them because she thinks they're evil. And she's written like a harpy, but so many of the things that she's protesting are stuff I would agree with. Right. Yeah. 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 And she's written. And so they cast a jar on a, a cast a spell on a cookie jar and throw like detritus in it, like what they sweep up from the floor and all the stuff. And it comes out of her mouth. So like eraser ends and dead flies and buttons, feathers, feathers. dog hair. Mm. And so it's like hacking like it's a hairball. Oh yeah. It's so gross. And then um, eventually like it all comes to a head. Her husband has had enough. He started an affair with Suki she berates him that he doesn't basically have the balls to have an affair with Suki. And then he beats her to death with a fireplace poker. Yeah. Hangs himself. While thinking of the children. While thinking of the children. Yeah. Which is even weirder. And then, you know, they, Suki and has some remorse. Jane does not. They, Kind of seems to believe that they caused it. And Jane seems to be able to brush off this idea that they were just having fun and it's not really on them. Right. So things kind of start to unravel from that point, I would say. Mm-hmm. The grown children of this couple come back and Suki invites them, Jennifer and Chris, to come to the mansion with them. To the orgies. To the orgies. Chris sits around in the main room reading comic books and Jennifer basically becomes their personal massage therapist. I don't know. Yeah. Like she participates, but only as a giver, not a receiver, I guess. And the orgies are so lightly brushed over in many cases. Mm-hmm. There's some language where you're like, oh, okay, this is it. But, you know, for someone who's written romance novels, mm-hmm. there's not that clear, this person touch this person in this way. And so a lot of it, you kind of read and then you go back and you go, wait, did they really? And yeah. so I thought I mean, they say they have orgies. That. Right. I mean, they say they have orgies. And, and what you do get, as I said, yeah, what you do get like, is not sexy. It's not sexy. No, none of it was sexy. Mm-mm. No one in this book was sexy. No. No one. They're all having affairs with these men around town and they're described as these filthy little toads <laughs> who don't even bring their women to completion right like why would you have an affair if you're not even getting up on it yeah this definitely falls into the bad category but let's finish definitely. the <laughs> let's finish the synopsis so basically <laughs> they invite jennifer in and then jennifer usurps them all and marries van horn they get really pissed off they make a puppet out of Stuff Jane has collected from the mansion that belongs to Jennifer, including the head of the marzipan bride from their wedding cake. They burn Another it. Story. Right. They make a puppet <laughs> out of birthday candles and the ashes of this, stick pins in it, put a needle through her heart, and wish cancer on her. Wrap it up like a baked potato. And then Alexander takes it to her house and puts it in her kitchen. 
So Jennifer basically dies then of cancer. Van Horn joins the Unitarian Church, gives a sermon about the parasites of the world. And is oh. that really what creation is about? Which might be some of the most and interesting writing in the book. Not a But it's totally weird. <laughs> Literally definitions of parasites for pages. Yeah. So that happens. And then uh, they all feel kind of guilty, but not enough to really change who they are. I don't no. think Van Horn flees town with Christopher. They think in a homosexual relationship back to New York, basically stiffing every contractor and every utility company in Eastwick. Possibly never having had any money in the first place. Right. So they all um, then all three witches perform spells to bring them a husband and they all leave Eastwick. With said because of said husband right who i have to assume is no better than any of the previous men they found so that's basically the story so we kind of talked about the good part so do you want to talk about the bad part for you i would you touch on already (laughs) read a book with so much unsatisfying sex like i get that there is unsatisfying sex in some books and these people seem to all think this was satisfying satisfying sex and I feel so bad for John Updike. Like, is this what he knows? See, writing from experience, is that what you're right? saying? Write what you know. And I mean, I actually kind of loved that they're all horrible people. I thought maybe there would be one decent person. And honestly, you know, the herpy wife was almost the most decent person in that she was at least ahead of her time and wanted better things for her town. Mm-hmm. The way she went about it was absolutely off-putting. But compared to everybody else in the book, was she more off-putting? It's really hard to say. Yeah, I think the only other person that comes off slightly good is, is her name Barbara Paisley, who takes over the yes, Unitarian yeah. Minister Church. Yeah, Parsley, sorry. And she seems like nothing until her husband runs off with a younger woman after having screwed one of our witches for a while and gets blown up gets blown up because they join a cult yeah. it's there's a lot of interesting little like if this was a plot it'd be broccoli there's a lot of little florets mm-hmm. coming off the side of this yeah and i think for me like the so um because I'm me, after I finished the book, I went and read a bunch of reviews that came out at the time and then like revisiting the Witches of Eastwick because apparently he wrote a sequel called The Widows of Eastwick, Eastwick. like in 2008 or something right before he died, which I have not read, so I can't speak to, but um, I'm kind of interested and I may go read it later, but I got a lot of other stuff on my TBR. Because I loved the idea in the end that there was a new triumvirate. Mm Mm-hmm. Greta and Barbara and Dawn. Dawn, yeah. yeah, That they had gotten together and they were doing things that seemed to be working. And I love that they never really got into this idea of we are witches. It was just kind of this thing. Mm -hmm. And that their powers were such that, you know, as they were playing tennis, they would just turn the ball into a toad to irritate the other players. Yeah, there's a lot of describing tennis in this There's book. a lot of describing tennis. Which, you know, I guess if you're a Ivy League New Englander who right. spent time in Oxford, you probably play tennis. Um, yeah. 
but I don't know. He apparently wrote it as like a kind of a rebuttal to his feminist detractors, apparently. And the witches of Eastwick, the witches of Eastwick. Yes. And I can't say that I find this a very feminist novel in any way, shape or form. The only thing feminist about it is that women can be just as awful as men can be. That is the feminist thing about it, I guess. But all of the women, all of the women in the book settle for these sad sack affairs with someone else's husband who, you know, the sex seems really unfulfilling. They're kind of pathetically drawn, even by Updike. The men are pathetically drawn by Updike. And, you know, I guess the thing, like, my thought was, if this novel was set in 2022, written by a contemporary author, especially if it's written by a woman, the witches would have uh, said, that if these are the pickings, we're not interested, they would have formed a lesbian throuple and a forest school childcare cooperative and basically mm-hmm. fought Van Horn off from his attempts to displace the snowy egrets with his tennis court <laughs> and egrets. swindle the town. Everyone got over the snowy egrets really fast. Yeah, like now that would have never flied. That would never fly. But yeah, I just, never. I don't even understand like why they find him attractive. I didn't like, understand why they found anyone attractive. Though. The way like, he's literally oh. one of the early scenes. I'm trying to think. It was Suki who was sleeping with one of the husbands, and he was described as lumpy and cold. Mm-hmm. And then you know Joe with his bald head, you know, and the one weird of them little hat he wears, hair and... that was crispy. Yeah, and <laughs> like. Even in the sex scenes, they were like, well, I guess he finished. Like, really? <laughs> That's what we get? Yeah. And then she feels guilty about finishing herself. And I'm like, uh, uh, clearly this was not interesting for you. No. It just I seems, think- I don't know. It seems like if you're that witchy, if you can do that kind of CGI magic, why I- are you settling for not even milk toast? It's like barrel scraping. It was bad. And and like, why can't you either make your lover better? Or find a better lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it know. was. It may be that. I mean, maybe reading it now, like you said, it, you know, that. I mean, I think about the fact that John Updike and my dad are the same age. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, you know, reading. So John Updike is definitely like pre sexual revolution. Like he would have been in his 30s. Yeah in the 60s and then in his 50s in the 80s when this book was written and like i'm sure his view of feminism of this kind of post divorce is accepted mm-hmm. you know sexual revolution world probably was not rosy no and it's that comes across in the book i absolutely mm-hmm. think it's it's a product of its era for sure yeah. just in the I mean, you get the whole clothing description, but I actually really liked that because it helped take me back to mm-hmm. like, okay, but this is what people were thinking. Yeah. There's so much racist language in the book. Oh my God. So that was in my ugly list that yeah. just like, and, and slurs I have not heard well, people use in my exactly. actual lifetime. Yeah. And, but because of that, like, it's absolutely this is very early hardcore feminism where nobody had yet grasped that it just means equality mm-hmm. and that I mean the upside to him like you said 
is that everyone's horrible. It's not a treatise on women. It's a treatise on people. Yeah. But that it was written as a rebuttal to feminists makes me think it is kind of a treatise on women. He just also happens to think everyone is horrible. Like it was, I will well, cop to the fact that I think I've only read one other Updike book. So of his I 50, read any. I think I've read so. one other. And I just kind of feel like, am I not giving him a fair shake because he's just a misanthrope <laughs> who hates everyone? Or does he just come across as like a misogynist in this book? Like, I don't know. That's hard to tell from the one book. Um, as much as I did enjoy the writing and it was a, you know, an easy flowy read, I'm not sure I want to go back into those worlds of his again for an extended ride. Um, yeah. but where I think it is feminist is when you look at the book and I also watched the movie cause I had not seen it in its entirety before. When you look at the book, all the power is from the women. So mm-hmm. even early on when they're doing these little things, it's clear that they don't understand they are as powerful as they are. And Everything I mean, Van Horn does describe he's jealous of them. Right. But he says he's jealous because they can make babies. Oh, I think he's now. jealous because they have their own power. Right. And he also comes across as this very vomitous feminist himself where like I'm going to tell you feminist things that I read from the comic strips and it will make me sound cool yes he is the 1990s sensitive ponytail guy in the worst possible way absolutely and when they put Jack Nicholson in the movie he is literally ponytail guy yeah and and so I thought that was actually really interesting that like when you look at the book all the power is theirs and they don't necessarily understand how powerful they are, but they do things that show that they are that powerful. I mean, they literally kill squirrels for getting on the feeder and the squirrel just dies. And the, the comment after that is, I had to go into the yard and pick up its dead body and throw it. I'm like, well, then maybe you shouldn't just be waving things dead and should yeah. have I don't know, That really bothered me. Energy. That really bothered me. And there were several of those. They killed the neighbor's puppy because it was barking. No remorse, Mm -hmm. but everything that happened, them, you know, wishing Van Horn into town, all the things in the tennis, none of it came from him. He was the idea when he left that he wasn't necessarily as wealthy as everyone had thought he had, that he was lying about it, that they couldn't even find his name in official records. And that might not be really who he was. The idea that he may have never existed at all and that they were powerful enough to conjure all of this Mm kind of lingers as an option at the end. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it may be somewhat more feminist. It's not because nobody's having any decent sex. Well, and I also think, you know, I mean, one thing from reading the reviews and also from like by one other updike exposure, like he Mm -hmm. kind of likes to be meta, meta and obtuse. So like Mm -hmm. all of the things, the clues you get that Daryl Van Horn is the devil, like, you know, his Mm -hmm. name, like Mm -hmm. the scene when he and Sugi go play tennis, the interminable tennis scenes. Mm -hmm. And then after she beats him, he asks her to kiss his ass, like literally kiss both cheeks and his asshole. And that is like a throwback to, I think at some point, Alexandra mentions the Malleus Maleficarum, that one of the things right. witches had to do was kiss the devil's asshole. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I find amusing that Abdike kind of swills this bucket of like, 
Malleus Maleficarum witch hunt magic with mentions of Wicca. Like, it's kind of like he didn't really, like he did the research, but he didn't really get that those were not interchangeable. Yeah, he did not. There's, there's so little actual Wicca in the religion and only the craft and the practice. Mm-hmm. And he, you're right. He speaks of it as though he got all of it. And it's like, oh, honey, no, no. That deck's like two suits shy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think you just, you know, kill a squirrel with your mind with no repercussions. Right. Or a person or three. Or a person. And, and they have, I mean, the no guilt was very much a it's not a metaphor it's it's very indicative that the world just didn't respond mm-hmm. to the power they put into it yeah it didn't which i which i don't I, yeah i don't truck with that and i the thing i find interesting especially if you think about the movie representation versus the book representation is like jane really comes across as the evilest one because mm-hmm. suki and alexandra both have remorse at right. different points about different things they even have more concern up front about what they're doing and what ramifications it might have they still mm-hmm. do it it's obviously not enough to stop them right but they do question it but this i think the thing about it that bothers me the most in reading it is kind of the same weirdly the same reaction i had to um gone girl because mm-hmm. there are no redemptive characters in this book at all no. they are all terrible terrible people yes and the redemptive side characters aren't as important important enough to save it no and i guess i just always kind of want i mean you know it's not literature's job to give me somebody to root for but if i'm reading for pleasure i want somebody to root for i want something to wind up well in the end and honestly, what wound up well in the end was that they were gone. Yeah. And that hopefully the new triumvirate would be better than they were. Yeah. But it was so faintly even hinted at that there was a new triumvirate and mm-hmm. that they might have power that you don't get to walk away with any confidence in that. Right. I mean, so, and he breaks the book up into three sections and I can't remember what the first section is called, but the second section is Maleficia Mm -hmm. and the third section is guilt. Mm -hmm. And though I think they do have some guilt, not Suki. I mean, not Jane. No. But the idea that they all then do a spell to conjure a husband in, in different ways. And I, you know, reading the description of how Alexandra summons her new husband i think i read this book before and just completely <laughs> forgot it because i was like that is way too familiar it's either been copied somewhere else mm-hmm. or i've read this book before because i was like oh no i, I recognize this That's um fun. and i may have read it in high school because we were kind of obsessed with the movie mm-hmm. um but like that they all conjure this husband and then that means that they don't have powers anymore is how it ends which is so anti-feminist right and like that's why like i i can't see this as a feminist book if he meant it that way because then they just go back to being dependent on a man no it's an epic failure as a feminist novel it's just i i can see some pieces in it that an old white dude in the 80s might think was feminist 
but it's not, it fails yeah. at every point, you know, in part because of that, like if, if you're feminist, why would you wish for a husband? If you're feminist, why would you then wish for that institution, which will remove all of your power that you've not only gained as a divorcee, but proven is stunningly powerful. Right. But so yeah, why would you give all that up? And on top of that, given the men these women have interacted with, why would they want another one at all? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. He doesn't paint men as something that they would want. Although he does say there's several places, at least for Suki and Alexander, where I think Suki is talking about Oz, her ex-husband, mm-hmm. and Suki is talking about Monty, her ex-husband, where they talk about when they were young and in love. Right. And the good things about them. I don't think we ever get that from Jane. No, Jane is the least described of any of the characters and the least empathetic to anyone else around her. Mm -hmm. She loves her two friends and that much is clear. Yeah, And she will go to the ends of the earth for them. But, you know, she doesn't have the kids. She doesn't have the, the same setup. And it's just, she's almost walled off from everybody else in those internal reactions and she doesn't get as much book time either yeah. because of that. So I think the saddest scene in the whole book for me is when they're at one of the orgies and maybe the first one, even I can't remember, but it's from Alexandra's point of view and she's looking at how beautiful Suki is and then says rails against the heterosexuality that keeps them apart. Like, rose stems in florist tubes Mm -hmm. which is a great image but i'm also like why the men around you are horrifically bad you clearly love each other just do it you know why why do you care and i i thought it was interesting in that same sense that it doesn't even keep them apart yeah i mean they still have clearly touching each other and yeah they're still very physical with each other they're physical even after they stop going to van horns when yeah they give alexander a massage at her house later like suki's Mm -hmm. all up on her right and i'm like are you really straight no (laughs) are you really straight no like i i just feel like if someone was writing from a 2022 lens there's no way those people are straight no they weren't then either, which I think is actually that whole part of the appeal, you know, especially back then of the lipstick lesbian mm-hmm. and that they're not, but they've got this brush of that across them. Yeah. And if you, if I may mm-hmm. hit over to the movie, which absolutely played on that, it's not in the book anywhere near as much. It's just a brush in the book because all of these people are horrible, lumpy cows. Not my words, Updike's words. Right. Like, yeah. Well, the thing, the other thing, I think this is actually my bad section. <laughs> They're depicted as practical crones and Alexander is the oldest 35. and she is 38. They're, yeah. They're mid thirties and early forties and they keep like, oh, my skin is creepy with these old age spots. And I am decrepit. I can feel my body crumbling as I age. And I'm just like, okay, let's stop and take a moment. Like, how did my mom do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the I will, end of the 70s I will concede that, yeah, like 40 in 1960 does not look like 40 now. No. Like, I will concede that that is true. It does not hold up at all. 
I mean, if you look at pictures of me now, you know, on the cusp of my 50th birthday. And literally, by the way, literally, by the way. Literally. And my mom at 30. Oh, and it's, it's absolutely a product of the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I but, think about people drank a lot. People smoked. Yes, the air lot. quality was worse. People, you know, our culture has also shifted to this extreme youth culture since the 60s that has forced everyone to try and stay young, too. Yeah. And on top of that, they were only two generations away from parenting that involved throw as many kids as you can out there. If some of them go bad, that's okay. That's just what happens. Right. They don't all even make it past toddlerhood. You know, so they were brought up by parents who were very much like, wow, you've made it to 30. You are so old. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an interesting lens to look at it through. But by the same token, I mean, maybe he was ahead of his time writing about these older women who were having these orgies. But the way they describe themselves, the way that they describe everyone else around, I really just had a rough time imagining anyone in town could get it up or get wet for anyone else in town. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. Like, but I don't like the way he describes the women, like I do see them. I do see that there is beauty in them and they see yes. beauty in each other. Mm-hmm. And I think they even see beauty in other women. I mean, not always. Mm-hmm. I mean, they definitely describe Greta, the German woman, just horrifically hey. like, practically hag like but like barbara pays parsley they you know Mm -hmm. she especially as she walks into her power they describe her as like was her hair always down and flowing like that you know they they kind of see that in them but i just i don't know there's pieces of it but you know we get through the whole like oh i can't eat that i'm on a diet you know here i am shoving nuts in my face like a horse trough and so there's Whatever you might get that's positive about them, even when you get those positive statements, they are completely and immediately offset yes. by these counter horrible negative statements. Oh, especially like at one point she describes, Alexander describes Joe, her married lover that she kind of turns over for Van Horn as um, mm-hmm. referring to her as his cow, but right. like vodka in, in Italian, the you know? sexy culture of vodka. And I was just like, really? Like, I would have, like, an elbow kneed you in the groin and thrown you off the bed. I'm sorry. And I have to admit, too, like, I find it so interesting that Updike was so enthralled with sex and orgies. And they were so bad. And he (laughs) he wove it through the rest of the book. You so know, what does that mean, though? So what does it, that mean? I mean? He's fascinated with sex, maybe because no one has ever actually gotten this man off. Because, <laughs> like, in the early parts, Alexandra is going out to her garden to get the tomatoes, and she describes them like cupping her lover's testicles. And I was like, no, honey, you are doing that so wrong. And I expected the later part of the book to explain to her, like, oh, that was wrong. Here's what's right. And no, they just keep doing bad sex. <laughs> and and it does, it bleeds into everything else. There's sexual, you know, phrasing when they're playing tennis. There's sexual phrasing when they're drinking margaritas. And it's all 
not sexy. It's yeah. so it's, un, it's unsexy. Well, and what they talk about, like Jane being dirty, like no, Jane yeah. is crude. She's oh, not dirty. Yeah. She's Dirt, crude. No. But that may be a timing thing and just the way that Maybe. it's described. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was I thought it was really interesting in the movie. They took a lot of key scenes and interesting pieces from the book. They Mm -hmm. kept a lot of the characters and they made the women much better people in the movie. Mm -hmm. They were far more likable characters. You did root for them. Yes. But they completely swapped the dynamic. They didn't have power. All their power came from him in the Mm -hmm. movie, which I thought was really... Like of all, like the he blows into town, and they their powers their start. Powers, yeah, they don't have yeah. powers. Like where previously, the first time they're out playing tennis, they are all over each other using what they use casually, but are actually transmogrification, like high end power, and they know it, and they're so good at it, they do it so casually, mm-hmm. and yet in the movie. Everything blew into town with him. He brought right. the power with him. And then they even kind of almost casually use it to overthrow him. Mm-hmm. But I think the anybody. casting of the film is also interesting because they yeah. completely swap all of what they look like. Yeah. Like I got it and I was like, wait a minute. I thought that, wait, what? Who's in the book for people who haven't read the book alexandra is the blonde who mm-hmm. share plays mm-hmm. suki in the book is the redhead, redhead. who yeah. is played by michelle pfeiffer in the movie yeah and jane is the dark-haired one mm-hmm. who is played by susan sarandon who's the redheaded one in the movie mm-hmm. so it almost like superimposing the different stereotypes of brunettes blondes mm-hmm. and redheads which mm-hmm. updike plays in too hard it's in so the book mm-hmm. i mean they do in the movie as well but they swap them out which kind mm-hmm. of saves jane's character from being it, the evil one mixing those personality traits i think helped each of them that mm-hmm. they weren't quite as in their own quarter that they had more likable characteristics mm-hmm. Oh, no, I think, and they also completely do, they do still have the storyline where the woman dies, I mean, is killed by yeah. her husband, but mm-hmm. I don't think he kills himself in the movie, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the kid, you don't get the whole other... They, Jane and Christopher, or Jennifer and Christopher Jennifer don't exist in the movie. Don't exist, yeah. And, um, like, a lot of the stuff around the church is not there. No. And... and- it's in there a little earlier, it's, it's kind of swapped earlier into the story. Mm-hmm and traded to some other characters but yet in the end they simply defeat van horn right he's kind of reduced to like a little squiggly demon thing or something guy and he winks out of existence yeah and and in the book he's the one who's the agent he's the agent of his own disappearance and Mm -hmm. he makes off with what he wants and they're kind of left to clean up after it i do find it interesting that there's only three years between when the book came mm-hmm. out and the movie came out and there's that much yeah. progress in the idea of what the power of the women have but mm-hmm. also instead of trapping them with husbands at the end they trap them with van horn's babies baby. all three of them have a baby yeah. by him and they get rid of him again like he comes back on the tv and they turn him off and that's the end of the movie but by the same token in those three years the women lost all their power 
Yeah, it's a weird it for him. In that yeah, it's a scenario. weird swap. But, but and I was thinking better people. Yeah, but they're not really free of him because now basically no. all three of them are raising Rosemary's baby. Mm-hmm. And he obviously has a way to get back to the right. children as well. He's not gone. Yeah, so it's just because I think is it in the the movie Jane can't have children, right? And the fact that she gets right. pregnant is like it, in the book thing. she has like children. She basically just. They're terrible mothers. Oh, I mean, they're all terrible mothers. Ugly, yeah, these children are I, massively neglected. Massively, massively neglected, but about to farm a future generation of probable psychopaths. Given the way the fair raves, it was so bad. I mean, they barely feed them. They not only barely feed them, the interactions with them are very clearly, I wish you weren't here. I mean, the You're one interaction we get with Jane and a child, she smacks the child. Right. And Sookie, it completely ignores hers and is like, oh, they're old enough. At one point, she very much says, like, I can't do this. I have to go home to my children. And as I was reading, I was almost like, now? Now, now you gotta you go. Have, do they recognize you if you? And she agrees to go check on Jane's children, but Alexandra right. is old enough, so they're fine. They're One fine. of her children of is old them. enough, so it's fine. Yeah. And Suki brings her lovers into the house, and it's just like, oh, it's a very small house, and we're all on top of each other, but the kids are in bed, so it's fine. I'm sorry. It was gross. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that is one of the the ugly things, and I mean, just the. I keep thinking about like how easily they all use racist slurs and like oh. slurs against gay people in this book and part of me is like <laughs> i actually wrote a note somewhere that said jesus in the mary chain everyone is hella racist um, <laughs> you know okay so maybe that's a clear picture of what new england was like in the late 60s early 70s i think this book is set in the late 60s because they talk about the assassinations mm -hmm. so i think it's probably and late 60s yeah they talk about who was killed in the war and that it was so recent yeah so i think it's late mm -hmm. 60s and then but i'm like okay so let's say it's updike is trying to paint an accurate picture of what new england mm -hmm. you know uptight new england white new englanders were like in the late 60s he's writing from 1984 yeah and did not have any better vision than that yeah and i'm like and reading it as a contemporary reader it's not only that it doesn't age well it's like it actually is is hard not to see the characters as more vile because then you also see them as racist and bigoted and yeah homophobic so it's well they didn't have much of a solid decency platform to stand on to start with no, but that like just takes out any happen. sliver of a plank yeah. that might have been left. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There was not a stilt. Yeah, there no, were, it's just. They were all so casually horrific. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of what makes it so horrific is that it is just a wave of your hand to kill the squirrel and the ramification is that you're irritated that you have to get a dead body out of your yard. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a hint, like after the sermon that Van Horn gives at the Unitarian Church about the parasites, mm -hmm. which, you know, I think you can read as the de devil's jealousy of God's creation or something weird like that. 
but um, he talks about parasites and then the parasites he talks about Jane, Suki and Alexander kind of have symptoms mm-hmm. like a parasite before they do mm-hmm. these spells to give up their power. And I'm like, is he writing that that is their punishment that they have this, which they really play hard into in the movie more than in the book. Right. Like Suki has like, cause he tell like, they all tell them their secret mm-hmm. horror that they have. And, and then that's the down. pain that they have at the right. end. But, um, like, so is that like kind of uncomfortable thing where Alexander thinks she might have cancer and Suki mm-hmm. has an ulcer and I can't remember what's going mm-hmm. on with Jane. Um, that that's kind of their punishment and then, but their real punishment is they don't get to be witches anymore because they give up their power for the sense of security and having a husband. So that's that really the punishment, punishment right? They did it to themselves. They, they chose it. I mean, I get the whole, you made your bed, you get to lie in it, but it given what they've everything they've been through and all the power that they did have it felt like an actual choice maybe i mean and, yes for the characters but it it was a punishment from updike it was and so. it was it was a punishment in that you're such a horrible person you will make these bad choices but there's they don't again they don't feel it there's no ramifications to them they got what they wanted mm-hmm and that I thought was a huge place that the book could have been so much better. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, um, I kind of I finished it, you mm-hmm. know, and you kind of have those, I, you know, some books give you an afterglow and mm-hmm. some books like leave you in a daze for 24 hours. This one was like a diet Coke. It just kind of, yeah, like there was a weird aftertaste uh-huh. from it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good description. Like, And it, it, it gave an aftertaste to everything else that you encountered for a while after. Yeah. Like I, his writing, like, I will not argue, like the man can write that shit out of the English language. Yeah. No argument from me. Like, incredible writer. I, I just don't. I didn't enjoy the people that he had to tell me about. No, he loved the places and the circumstances and the snowy egrets more than he loved any individual character in that book at mm-hmm. all. But more than he, he loved the snowy egrets in the book more than he loved all the characters combined. Yeah. And I understand he's not writing romance and there's not like, you know, let's end on a, a wedding mm-hmm. or a birth. You know, it's not mm-hmm. comedy in the traditional tragedy right. comedy sense right i mean it is darkly funny in places but i just it would be funnier if it were not so harsh in so many ways right i think there were a lot more opportunities to find humor in it if i wasn't reeling from oh my gosh that was so racist yeah. or wow you know, I can't believe you, you just did that. I mean, literally there's a book called Save the Cat, mm-hmm. where if you want to make your character sympathetic, they save a small furry creature and our character killed a small furry creature. They killed the neighbor's puppy. Yes. And so then a, a squirrel. Opposite. <laughs> and then, you know, like, yeah. So there's, I think, I don't know. This is the thing I struggle with. Like as someone who, you know, on a piece of paper hanging on the wall over here says I have a master's degree in English. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I get that literature is supposed to hold up a mirror to who we mm-hmm. are as people. 
But I think sometimes literature, the mirror is pretty warped in some ways. Like, I don't think that people are, for the most part, and maybe my opinion has changed in the last three <laughs> years. So I, I, this is with a caveat from Victoria, but, you know, I don't think people are 100% sunny, beautiful, love and light. I am Pollyanna. I suspect those people of something. And I don't think people are 100% evil with no redemption. At some point, they will save the cat. You know, right. I, I don't, that doesn't mean I have to like them or that doesn't mean I root for them. But, but they aren't a cardboard cutout it. of evil. Mm-hmm. Right. And though there are tiny moments of connect, like real human connection in these characters, mm-hmm. for the most part, those are obliterated by how easily they kill. I mean, they they kill people and it is almost brushed off like an afterthought. I would I would argue it's not almost brushed off. It's absolutely brushed off. And it's very much, as you said, those moments are in there. But the imbalance Mm -hmm. of those moments with the these are truly horrible people. And he does. Like I said, it's like broccoli. The little pieces, the little florets go everywhere. So we get these insights into all these other people in town. And, you know, Clyde could have had a wonderful conversation with his wife and redeemed himself. And instead, he took a fireplace poker to her head until no one could recognize her face and then hung himself thinking about how much money the children could get for the house. I mean, no one is is redeemable. The The redemption is is so slight that on our list of redeemable characters is Dawn. <laughs> like, right. that's concerning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one of the telling things about how either the characters see themselves or John Updike sees these women he paints as witches is when Suki first kind of decides to have an affair with her boss mm-hmm. when he's at his desk and she thinks, oh, but I could give him health. Mm-hmm. And he ends up killing himself after he murders his wife horrifically. Like right. that, that's the arc of Suki's thought of I can heal this man. Like it's somehow her job to do it. And instead her having an affair with him sets him so off balance that that is his reaction to the world. And she sees none of it. Right. None of it ricochets back onto her. She gets none of it. She improves not at all. And it's a very, it's a thought that she believes is altruistic, but it's so selfish at its heart. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want a husband. She doesn't want him to leave his wife. She just wants the parts that she wants. Right. And she's not even educated enough to realize the parts she wants are horrible. You are not cupping your lover's testicles at the tomato plant, honey. No. (laughs) Yeah. Like they want someone else's husband because then they don't have the complication of a relationship with that person. It's just sex. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not even good sex. No. And like I said, you know, there's so much sex throughout these non-sexual things. You know, they describe the tennis ball and the weight of it. And they describe things as breasts. But I was like, okay. But if we're going to look around our world and see breasts, maybe we can see attractive breasts. Like they don't even have to be, you know, statistically, you know, the playboy or social media model of attractive breasts. 
our character just needs to see them as attractive and they don't. Yeah. You know, it's very much like, oh, they were pendulous, like flower sacks. And it was like, um, not sexy. Tell me you've never seen breasts without saying you've never seen breasts. I just imagine this like powdery square of boob. <laughs> it's real weird. Right? <laughs> Yeah, And on top of that, he goes through this whole thing with Sookie and her weight and what she's eating and how she's dieting. And she's 5'8 and 160 pounds. So, I think it's Alexandra. So getting, it's Alexandra. Sorry, it's Alexandra. Yes, apologies. Yeah. And we're going through this whole thing with that, right? So we have a description of like she is almost impossible to be the way she is described. But not only does she describe herself this way, even though other people are like, but you have such wonderful breasts. It's like, oh, also, you are not any of these other descriptors. And in fact, they pile them on to her. So not only is no one attractive, no one sees anyone else in town with anything but the slightest individual one piece positive traits. Right. And even then, it's just like, hey, that's a positive trait for you. Mm -hmm. You know. Your it was Sookie who had the overbite and the bulbous nose and the protruding eyes and somehow made it all work. Right. Because she's a fiery redhead. There's never anything about her that's like, you know, and she had a striking smile mm -hmm. or her eyes sparkled. It was just, oh yeah, but somehow she makes it work. <laughs> but when they're when they're describing each other, like in their own minds, they talk about how it works, even though they describe the individual parts negatively. Yeah. When they're individually with Van Horn, they shit on each other. Oh, so bad. Which also bothered me a lot. It was like the petty jealousy between them around Van Horn. And I was just like, ugh. This is like the women catfighting garbage. And I almost actually allowed for that, given that he's metaphorically the devil and would inspire that. Yeah. But I would have loved to have seen that as better characters becoming this as his influence. And it was so difficult to distinguish what was inherently horrible about them and what was horribleness that he brought that he brought out and inspired them, yeah. in them and honestly yeah. i don't know that i could even on a second reading go through and distinguish that because it was just yeah it was a, it was a nice peanut butter and jelly of awfulness it's <laughs> a great there. description mm -hmm. all right well i think we have probably done our damage to Jack's <laughs> reputation if anyone cares you know like to <laughs> you at this point i will say like i don't you know i don't want to write him off as an author because i think that's petty and short-sighted but i just did not enjoy aspects of this book i don't think you can write off as an author anyone who gave us an hour plus of content and we could keep going right yeah i mean there's exactly. a lot in there that's worth dissecting yeah i mean i think if it was truly a bad book you couldn't talk mm -hmm. about it. It was just no. like, this is too bad to really. So yeah. Hello, it was bad. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Yeah. No. And I, it's funny because I, um, I watched the Julia thing on HBO max and he's kind of a character at the beginning mm -hmm. and he's very sympathetic in Julia, which yeah. I think is funny. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I don't think John Updike was a bad person. I don't know him. Didn't know him personally. This is not a comment on his writing as a whole. This is my feeling about reading this book at this time. 
I don't know him either. And he has passed, so I will not know. But I have concerns that he wasn't being satisfied. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I mean, that's if, fair. You, if you look at writing or music, and you can do it with mine, you know, these themes that come up over and over again are, are really at the heart of the artist. Yeah. And I get it. It's just the one book, so I could be absolutely wrong. Elena, are you theme, saying I'm obsessed with death? Is that what you're I'm saying? I'm saying this theme <laughs> was pounded in to every piece of this, like tomatoes that felt like testicles. Yeah. And so it's so baked in that I have a hard time believing the author's completely divorced from it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. So ha- given all that we've said about Don Updike, um, is your personal rating as a book, not as a pronouncement upon John Updike? How would you rate The Witches of Eastwick? There's two different ratings. Okay. There's four out of five Viagra for the writing. The writing <laughs> was wonderful and it went on for hours. Um, and we probably should have called our doctor. Um, for the story, and this is where I think too, you know, we talk about some authors are really great with characters. And some with story and some with writing. I think he had story and I think he had writing. And characters were so detrimental in this. Um, two, two out of five dried tansy in hope that the tansy will have its aphrodisiac quality and help this man. Nice. I like it. So um, to follow up with your two, <laughs> I will give it four out of five tennis snakes for writing and oh, story. Nice. And uh, three out of five birthday candle poppets for the character awful humans in it Excellent. i mean he does describe an awful human really well he does and it's brilliantly woven and we both came in here with absolutely no disagreement so he put it clearly and expertly onto the page for yeah. us yeah. sounds good cool so will you read any other updike after this I, not soon um <laughs> I very well might. Uh, again, the writing was well. It was it was well done. It was very easy to get through it. So I might. I'm tempted to do Widows of Eastwick to see what happens because I, I grabbed it and it looks like it follows the same three women. Okay. So. Yeah, I am tempted to read it just to see like the evolution of him as a mm-hmm. writer and how he looks at these women more than I am their story. That's I think. Fair. Yeah. Which, I don't know, maybe John Updike is the most interesting character in this book. I hope somebody takes care of him between this book and the next book. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) if you uh, were going to walk away from this and someone said, okay, if if you wouldn't recommend them read this book, like I would recommend to read it. I mean, I think it's, you know, I wouldn't say don't read it. It's it's an interesting read. And his writing about, you know, the small town in Rhode Island is spot on like i could have smelled the air and absolutely the coffee at the little bakery you know like it it was fine um what would you recommend people to read and it doesn't have to be a dead person it can be somebody (laughs) um i think if you like the idea of this but you aren't quite ready to dig yourself out from the bog when you're done Mm -hmm. that going to something like practical magic which involves the witchcraft and gets it correct a lot better and deals with all the horrible people, but also has characters that you can root for. Mm -hmm. 
that might be where I would send them. Yeah, that was going to be my pick too, just because yeah. I think it it touches on a lot of the same themes mm-hmm. about the relationship to men and women and and mm-hmm. the witchcraft is very different like you said in practical magic yeah. but there but are really the yeah it's it's that same level of witchcraft that we live our lives but there happens to be this very extraordinary craft mm-hmm. that somehow plays in normally yeah and i We're, think alice hoffman also is a great writer of place absolutely so I just like her characters a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I think this book is a great read for someone who, one, it's for, for writers. Mm-hmm. You know, I absolutely walked away with, okay, this is how you do not build a sympathetic character, but also really wonderful constructs mm-hmm. on putting someone in a place, yeah. whether it's a kitchen or the town square mm-hmm. or the church in very few words, he managed to get everything that you needed to see it clearly. Yeah. And feel and it. there aren't just like beautiful turns of phrase too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And some of them are like, this is fantastic. Could we maybe have had that? And I'm back to it with the tomatoes. It was just the first, one of the first ones that I was like, really, are we going there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I mean, like even a Roma tomato. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. No. I don't think. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Well, on that <laughs> note. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back on. I hope people enjoy this. We're hoping to do some more. Um, bring on some previous guests and talk about which lit by dead authors. Mostly, so I don't feel guilty if we don't like the book. So no retaliation. I mean, if you're talking witch lit. You just don't know. Right. Well, I mean, there's that. And like, you know, I was thinking about it when we were talking. So Kaifel, my co-producer, and I were talking about it. I said, well, I want to talk about books, but I could never interview the author. Right. And so this was a way to do that. And also um, to, you know, have some bonus content for people who, you know, want to talk about the book as much as they want to talk about the writing of the book. So this is more about which lit as a reader straight up instead of just writing. I love so that. I had a blast reading the book and I immediately turned around and was like, okay, I'm going to go watch the movie because I don't see how the pieces of the movie that I had seen fit in. And after watching right. both of them, I get why I had that perception because they don't. Yeah. They're very different. They're very mm-hmm. different. Yeah, I will say anyone who's seen the movie who hasn't read the book, you're probably in for a surprise. (laughs) Absolutely. It's going to it as if it's an entirely different body of work. Yeah. And I do think that that, um, I mean, I do think that that idea that a movie can be different. I mean, I know people like, oh, the book is better. And I was like, well, the book is better as a book, but the book wouldn't work as a movie. You know, that's one of those things about changing the medium. I mean, Kyle and I were talking about um as we're recording this the sandman series just came out right and a lot of people who are fanboys and girls and theys are up in arms that probably not theys as much let's be honest um (laughs) are up in arms about how woke the sandman is and blah 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 blah. and i'm like you know it's neil Kamen is still at the helm of this it's still his work and you know the 
comic books and the radio play and now the television series all exist in separate media as almost like a separate entity. And I think that that just goes to show that once you create this world or you create this sandbox, other things are possible. And I don't think I believe in canon anymore because of that, because I think you can, if you create a universe that's that rich, who's to say there aren't multiple realities in that universe too? See, I fully go with the canon on that. And I think he held the canon very well. I just think the people who are up in arms about it are irritated that the story has evolved over time, Mm -hmm. which is something we're facing with this update book that we're reading something that is a snapshot back in time. The movie came out three years later. There was no, the evolution on it is very minimal. Yeah. And and even update, like we're saying, setting it in the late sixties, he said it pretty firmly entrenched there and without evolution and without even evolution of his own backward gaze. Yeah. I think canon may be the wrong word. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't think they're set like in Amber, like that has to exist as this, it can only ever be this. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at this book, I think it's a perfect example of why they shouldn't be set in stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The world has changed. I mean, I think that, I think it did. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. like the movie of the witches of Eastwick, I think is an evolution mm-hmm. of the book. Absolutely. And really like, it kind of at, really makes me curious to read widows of Eastwick. Yeah. Cause I just want to see where it went as a snapshot of the late sixties. They really set the movie into the eighties, mm-hmm. which may give it more of that evolution that we saw even in yeah. the three short years between the two. But yeah, it really does, again, not right away, but soon, I might go read that one. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of stuff on my TBR pal for the podcast and book clubs and various things. So it's probably going to be a hot minute before I get to it, but I am interested. I have a lot of stuff on my TBR pile because I do. I mean, yeah, I have like three books for research that I keep going. I really need to read those and I can't get to them because I've got other stuff going on right now. But um, yeah, well, again, we're we're doing that very um, like we've known each other for 20, 30 years and taking forever to say goodbye. (laughs) Yes. But like I said, I appreciate you coming back on and talking about the book and hopefully maybe we'll do this again. I was thinking we might do them on the wheel of the year kind of thing since this one's coming out for Halloween. So love to. And happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, take care and we will talk soon. Bye. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Volt Press and is edited by Kaifel Agostini. Our music is Voices by Alexander Shinekar. You can support our work at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And if you'd like to submit your own death, sex, religion, politics, or money questions, or have questions or comments about the show, you can send an email to victoria at witchlitpod.com. And please be sure to let us know if we can use your name on the show. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at witchlitpod. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and consider giving us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other witches find the show. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.